Welcome to the Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast, a podcast created to inform patients, families, and caregivers about important health transformation topics. Since the 2001 Crossing the Quality Chasm Report by the Institute of Medicine, our nation's healthcare system has recognized its need to improve quality of care by way of six important aims that make healthcare safe, efficient, effective, patient-centered, timely, and equitable. But we cannot hope to cross this chasm and achieve these aims until we make fundamental changes to the whole healthcare system. All levels of this work require dramatic improvements from the patient's experience. So this podcast is dedicated to you, the voices most underutilized resource in healthcare, our patients' voices. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy the Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Natasha Washington, president and founder of ATW Health Solutions and sponsor for the Patient Partner Innovation Community. Follow the PPIC community online at atwhealth.com. Right. Well, hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast. I am your host today, Desiree Collins Bradley, and I am really excited to have a very special guest. You guys know, right? It's two things. I'm originally from New Orleans, although you guys know I'm kind of a transplant in Houston, Texas. So I am excited to share with some of my NOLA peeps, someone from New Orleans, Kimberly Novan. I am really excited. Did I say that right, Kimberly? Is it Novan or Novid? It's Novan. You got it the first time. Novan. All right. I got it. I got it. Welcome, Kimberly. We are going to have a great conversation. Kimberly is going to share with you her organization, the inspiration behind that. And really talk about you know all the great work that she's doing in her community not only in new orleans but i saw her at a conference i was a part of uh, vermont oxford network has their annual conference and all they do is healthcare quality improvement as it relates to like NICUs in all over the world, honestly. And Kimberly was on a panel talking about disparities and CBO work. And I was like, and I heard it in her voice. I said, wait, that's somebody from home. But she gave such a wonderful perspective. And I said, I gotta have her on my podcast. You guys know that the purpose of the PPIC podcast is really to kind of elevate the voices of the folks doing the work, boots on the ground in the community. So Kimberly, welcome, welcome, welcome. Please introduce yourself to our listeners. Thank you so much, Desiree, for having me. Uh, I'm really, really excited to, you know, have this conversation. And I've been thinking about you since I met you at the Vine Conference. And so I'm glad that, you know, it's finally come to pass. And I think that, you know, the fact that is taking place at the beginning of Prematurity Awareness Month um, is not a coincidence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the work that I do um, is rooted in spreading awareness about prematurity and the impact that it has um, on the local community where I am in New Orleans, um, but also on our country as a whole. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as you mentioned, um, I am the founder and executive director of Saul's Light. 
And, um, you know, this organization was created in 2015 as a means to support families with babies in the NICU or babies who have died shortly after birth. Um, and the organization started because of my experience with prematurity. So my son was born um, in 2014 um, after like 28 weeks and six days, right? So a roughly 29 weeks of a really normal first time healthy textbook pregnancy. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I really think that, you know, him, him being born early, going through the NICU journey and then ultimately losing him um, because my son passed away as a result of a brain bleed, which is something that typically happens to premature babies. Mm -hmm. um, but those experiences changed me. And I think that it's something that, you know, like you could appreciate, the listeners could appreciate that it is such a like um, extremely, extremely like life altering experience that mm -hmm. if it happens to you, you will never be the same, right? You will just realize, you'll just realize some really sort of like fundamental aspects of life and mm -hmm. how it works and how so many things are out of our control, even though we think that we are, we in control. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and that's what happened to me. I, you know, looked around my community and there weren't a lot of resources for families that were experienced preterm birth. There weren't a lot of resources for families experienced the NICU, even if they didn't have a premature baby and certainly not for those that lost a baby. So mm -hmm. I just sort of felt like, you know, like, why not me? Here's an experience that happened to me. I learned a lot from it. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about our communities and health disparities. And I thought like, what do I now do with this knowledge? You know, now that I have mm -hmm. it, I feel like I can turn it into something that can be good. I can turn it into something that can benefit somebody else. And mostly that would allow me to continue to, you know, parent my son um, yeah. on another plane, not a worldly plane, right? So it's a, it's a way that I get to still um, actively um you know bless his memory and also try to become a change agent in my yeah. community um i think again it's such it's such an extreme experience to have that i think mm -hmm. that when people are going through the journey that that they don't need to be alone um especially if it's not what they want and that people should be able to have access to information and resources that can sort of make that experience more bearable. Mm -hmm. um, I don't say better, cause I don't know if it can be better, you yeah. know, ha having gone there myself, um, but to make it more bearable. And so, you know, that people don't feel like, you know, everything is going wrong. I don't know where to turn. I don't know where to get help. Yeah. And I think, you know, that that's really important. and and most of our listeners if they've been listening to our podcast they know um my daughter spent almost seven months in the NICU mm. here at uh, Texas Children's Hospital and although she wasn't 
premature our little lungs was that of a premature baby and so we our journey was very similar to preemies or micro preemies that were in the NICU and I would echo you know there aren't that community level supports mm -hmm. I'll say when we were there I mean we had clinical support yes we had um psychological supports while we were in the hospital mm -hmm. but when we left those walls whether that was to take my son we had another child to his activities or even when we went home we had it was just us trying to figure it out so i really appreciate i tell i say this often you can take um your pain and kind of mold it into purpose mm -hmm. and hence why i kind of my career path to really focus that experience and for those of you that either have community member family member or yourselves that have gone through that NICU journey um, it is not an easy one and it is an ongoing so I really appreciate all the great work that you're doing um, in New Orleans and not just in New Orleans but around the country so um, what are some of, uh, give us a little bit of details about your foundation. Like, what are some of the resources and supports that you provide for the community? Absolutely. So, Salt Light, um, you know, in memory of my son, is an organization that supports families holistically. So, we're mm -hmm. thinking of social emotional needs in particular. We're thinking about social determinants of health that become barriers for mm -hmm. families. Um, we're thinking about their mental health, for example, their overall wellness. Um, and so our means of support stretch from being financial assistance to um, material resources, such as safe sleep environments or car seats. We have a, a little NICU library reading program um, and that encourages reading in the NICU as a way to, um, you know, encourage bonding and intimacy yeah. and brain development. Um, we also do case management, individual case management, connecting families to resources in the community. And that could be government agencies, it could be WIC, it could be Healthy Start, it could be, um, you know, referrals to mental health providers that are trusted providers that we know that when we send families to them, they're going to be safe and going to handle their experience with care. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we do a lot of community events. So we, we are a grassroots community-based nonprofit. And I really think of us as sort of a bridge between the hospital and the community. Um, and so what we do is, you know, work with families to support their needs, um, but also work with families, I mean, hospitals to better yeah. support families, you know, yeah. um, because again, we know that, you know, the NICU was hard for everybody. It doesn't matter what you're in there for. It doesn't matter how long your baby is in there for just that like separation after birth is very mm -hmm. unnatural. It's very, very hard on parents. Um, particularly postpartum parents. Mm -hmm. um, and But we know that it's made infinitely more difficult 
if you, for example, don't have the financial resources, Hopefully, to yeah. to, right, to get to the hospital, yep. if you don't have access to a lactation consultant to understand the importance of human milk for your baby, mm -hmm. um, um, if you have a language barrier, for example, mm -hmm. you know, we know that like, again, it's hard for everybody, but it's much more difficult if you're coming from a community that has been historically marginalized. And so when we mm -hmm. think about what equitable care looks like or family-centered care looks like, we want to make sure that all NICU families, no matter their experience, are being brought into family-centered care and all of their needs are considered. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even in the case of loss, you know, when it mm -hmm. seems that, you know, a baby might have a, um, you know, short life expectancy, you know, how do we still create experiences that are meaningful for those families? And we mm -hmm. don't just, you know, think about while they're in front of our face and then when they leave the hospital, they're sort of like on their own, yeah. you know? Yeah, and, so and that, you know, you, you said something that resonated with me so strongly about that trust, trusted partners. And here at ATW Health Solutions, ATW Health Solutions sponsors our podcast. They support um, our, uh, that PPIC is our patient network at ATW. But we really talk about those trusted messengers, trusted partners, because the communities that I come from, black and brown communities, it is hard. It's been historic, you guys know. There's been a disconnect between certain communities, our community and hospital systems, what have you. And this, there's just this wall of mistrust there, rightfully so. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we don't seek support, whether that's to a, a psychiatrist or social worker, because it's hard to find folks that look like you and that can understand your cultural situations that can, can reach you on a level that you feel comfortable with. So the fact that you guys really identify those trusted partners mm -hmm. so that they can come to you and say, hey, I am in this crisis, I need X, Y, Z. And you can vet those people. They know that when they go there, they're gonna be safe, right? That mm -hmm. word safe yeah. is so, 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 so important because especially, you know, black families in the South, we have been, we pray it away. God is going to take care of it. We taught yes. to seek psychology, psychiatry services. Um, it's kind of taboo, particularly mm -hmm. in um, black and brown communities. So, you know, for people to have a place to go that they feel psychologically safe, to trust yes. you to say, hey, help me with this. And the other piece is the financial piece. Um, mm. It's expensive. You know, it's almost like the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about. Yes. It's parking, <laughs> buying food every day. Yes. You know, families have been there where they couldn't come to the NICU, mm -hmm. not because they didn't want to. They didn't have gas money. And who wants to say, I don't have gas. I don't have money for food. No I have other kids that I don't gas. have a sitter for. Right? right. So... Right. You know, I, you guys I think, are feeling the need that. Mm, go ahead. I, I was just gonna say, I think you you just you hit on so much, right? Um, you know, everything from the trust trustworthy relationships. You know, we do the groundwork for families, 
so they don't have to do that and they don't have to worry about that. They don't have to call up 20 people and find out if they take their insurance, if they take Medicaid, how much they cost, are they taking new patients? Yep. Um, you know, that feeling of safety again. Um, and then just dealing with, you know, perhaps they're dealing with discrimination or judgment um, yep. or just a lack of empathy and compassion um, in the hospital. You know, we don't want them to be double or triple traumatized. That's right. We want to encourage healthcare providers that if you have a question about a family, ask them, go directly to them and ask them. And you might find out the information that you want to know. Instead of saying they never come to visit their baby, find out why. And maybe it is a transportation issue. And maybe it is money, you know, because one of the things that I always mm -hmm. tell people is being there present bedside and involved in your baby's care is for every single family. Every family deserves that, not right. just the ones that can afford it. Right. You know? And also we need to be mindful that people have pride and they have dignity. Mm -hmm. And so even if you might be lacking funds or might be lacking, you know, these what whatever financial constraints right that you experience you're not going to go and tell it to the world that's not something no <laughs> people do i know i ask and so let me tell you and and this is really though the importance of having diverse people in leadership right because nice. my blackness Mm -hmm. uh, being a black woman and having been someone who like grew up, <laughs> you know, waving at the poverty line, sometimes just over, sometimes yeah. under. Yeah. I know that, you know, you have this sort of like sense of independence and you have to do it and you have to figure it out and you don't ask for help. Right. And you don't tell people your business. Right. right. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. So I have to, so that helps me though, to inform our practice and mm -hmm. to know how to reach people and to know how to create a safe environment that people feel that they can be honest with us because they know they will not be judged. Mm -hmm. They know that they will be met with compassion and empathy. And mm -hmm. I'm going to um, advocate that everybody treats them that way, right. you know? Um, people come with the totality of experiences behind them and they are never just what you see before you. Um, and then, and then another piece you said, right. Just talking about like mental health in a black community. Again, I've been there, done that. Um, you know, when my son was, um, in the NICU, it was crazy. I felt like I was flying by the seat of my pants. Ultimately when he passed away, and I started going to counseling. That was the first time in my life I'd ever gone to counseling, right? And I was one of those people that was like, I'm not going to counseling, I'm not crazy, you know? And yeah. realizing that, no, actually, this is a really difficult situation. It's beyond mm -hmm. my control. I need help with this, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so yeah. those experiences also guide me to, to be an example for my, for my community and say, look, you, you can pray about it. You can give it to God, but you also need to give it to a therapist. That's Those right. two things can be true at the same time. That's right. But it's making sure, you know, I love what you talked about, meaning having diversity in providers. 
Because mm-hmm. I'll say, although, you know, I am a huge supporter of our children's hospital here. Mm-hmm. And however, when we were in the NICU, there was out of all the attendings that I saw behind those doors, there were two of color, two mm-hmm. black women. And uh, one of which became my champion to really fight for my daughter and what have you. Um, and I know when I finally was able to meet her because I felt so us against them in the unit. Mm-hmm. When I was finally able to meet her and really sit down with her and have a conversation with her, it really started building the blocks of trust again because the trust was pretty broken in the beginning for Mm -hmm. my family in the hospital um and i'll say now that i'm on the outside looking in you know i get it it was a tough situation for everybody but Mm -hmm. when you can see that there's providers that come from your community whether that's Hispanic community, Black community, you know, Middle Eastern community, Asian community, um, that diversity piece to the workforce mm-hmm. is very, very important, especially in that NICU. Most NICU families are thrown into the NICU yes. abruptly. It's not, there are quite, there's some, I'll say there's some that are plain, right? Mm-hmm. But for mm-hmm. the most part, you hit those NICU doors unexpectedly. Yes. So you haven't had a time to really digest what it is, do your own due diligence. What you see is what you get. And um, we have to, I think, as a com- healthcare community, make sure that we really push, push, push on our leaderships in our hospital systems to promote that diversity and not just talking, right? The, there's this big buzz, right? Everybody's talking about DEI, EDI, equity, diversity, inclusion. That's since COVID. Everybody's priority is health disparities. Well, health disparities and health inequities have been around for a long time. Yes. And it's time for not just to 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 do all this talking, but really walk the walk. Okay. Your commitment and not just hire a diversity equity officer and sit them on the shelf and check the box and be all pretty. really do something feels included right in the community that you're serving the community that you're serving the folks that are working there reflect that yes yeah so and and hospitals should aim to have a staff that is as diverse as possible as close as possible to the community that they serve. Mm-hmm. That should be a goal. They should yeah. never stop trying to attain that goal. And it's not right. just hospitals, right? It's for anything. If you're in a school, the leaders yep. at your school should reflect the population served. That's how you can get over some of these disparities and disconnects because they yeah. are created by systemic issues, yes. But there are people within these systems Yep. that are leading to the disparities, right? <laughs> Absolutely. We know 100% that representation matters. They, there has been tons of research that proves that representation matters and that you know families do better with doctors 
that um, they can relate to that are like them, that are same ethnicity, same race, shared culture, etc. None of us can deny that. But it's like you said, we have to stop talking about it. It's time to be about it. And stop saying, you know, well, they don't apply. That's not true. Yes, they do. That's right. And and if it's true, right, let's say it's true. Let's say qualified uh, diverse candidates are not applying. You need to ask yourself why they're not applying. Right. Because that's yeah. still, that's on you. you yeah. Know? And you know, it's interesting you say that. I had a conversation um, with a young grad and um, they were interviewing for a particular position. And one of the questions I asked, I was like, well, why, you know, why here? Why would you want? And they were very vocal about, I want to work somewhere where I can make an impact and that I feel um, I will be culturally accepted. Like Mm -hmm. people are starting to also push back with the young grads, residents, they're being picky, you know, but they're being super, you know, um, intentional about where they're working, right? So to your point of, if you're not receiving those applicants it's time to take an internal deeper dive as to why and then really look at strategies that you can put in place and if you don't know how to do that i would urge you to reach out to those community partners to really help you educate you to figure out okay what are we doing wrong how can we connect better with our with our community is is super super important and i remember um, when I started working real deeply around health equity and disparities, I was at the hospital with my daughter and we were in the hallway. She's a frequent flyer of the hospital. She's got a lot of medical complications, but there was a wall of this long wall of all these photos of their, um, previous chief medical officers. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking, they had, I think one woman and all others were white males. Mm -hmm. And I looked at the wall and I looked at my daughter and I said, wow, diversity much? It just struck me so like, it hit me in the gut to the point of you hear about it, we talk about it in the work, in the advocacy that we do and research that we do, but to really see it in front of me on that wall was like, wow, this is real. And it's the past staring at you in the face in the present right when you look at that you cannot deny the history of medicine in this country right Right. (laughs) you know extremely eye-opening yes and you think about families that you know families are different right there's different makeups of families families come in many shapes and sizes and there was a young mother i never forget this this stood out to me and it till this day it's been since 07 and she was young i want to say probably 15 16 ish mm-hmm. age baby was right across from us and dad was there and they were very you know immature and i think it was a way they were kind of like joking with me each other and laughing and, and from the outside looking in kind of being a little inappropriate however it was their kind of way of dealing I don't think they quite understood the magnitude of what was going on with the child well long story short the child passed away 
and mom and dad had went and gotten some food and they weren't there when the child passed, right? And the nurses were, you know, in conversation and kind of laughing. And I'm sitting there looking around like, wait a minute here. This child has died in this unit and no one is giving this baby dignity. I don't care if mom mm -hmm. and dad or 10 uneducated right. on substance use. I don't care about any of that. Right. The fact that this baby passed and no one is showing dignity to this child. I was furious to the point where I made a comment mm -hmm. and then everybody kind of looked at me because we were in an open one. And when mom and dad came in, I think they were being a little bit more sensitive with them as mm -hmm. a result. But prior to, very dismissive, very... Um, Oh, they're young kind of they don't understand and i'm like well help them somebody explain right. to them the magnitude of this and i think that speaks to the culture right mm -hmm. the culture of having a, a, a nursing staff that was not as diverse as it should be they don't understand mm -hmm. the walk that these kids have been walking and i don't know their story but i can assume it hasn't been an easy one considering mm -hmm. what they were there in the Nikki for. So, you know, I know, you know, we could talk about this all day, all but I want to kind of touch on I know. It's, but, it's but, you know, I, I want to say that I'm really glad that you said something because sometimes people just need a yeah. reminder that they're not being their highest self, you know, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. they can do, a, they can do better. And I'm really glad that they took that information and yeah. adjusted their behavior yeah. as opposed to just getting defensive. You know, yeah. well, sometimes it, you just need the reminder. And, you know, thank you for that reminder for me too, because I'll say it had me, I was pretty, excuse my expression, pissed off yeah. <laughs> in that moment. But, but, you know, looking back, you know, to their credit, they did kind of adjust and change because it didn't only affect that family, but it affected me. It was a traumatic experience for me to watch as well, being so close in the units together um, with this particular um, family. But, you know, the other thing is, so your foundation. So if folks want to get in touch with you, um, is there, I would say, requesting offers? Is there anything that you need that you're in search of this is the time to kind of ask the healthcare yeah. community what do you need and then how you know how can they get in touch with you and what can you offer to others yes um you know people can get in touch with us through the website it's sauls light s-a-u-l-s-l-i-g-h-t dot org we're on social media at sauls underscore light um and you know again we're a grassroots nonprofit, so we really really are able to work and provide support that is meaningful to individual families um because people support us and it's important that you know the families know you're receiving this support this support from everyday people that care right it's about compassion um it's about justice it's about equity and so what we really need more than anything are partnerships um, within the industry that will allow us to be able to do this work that is so meaningful and that is making a change. 
to allow us to be able to take our experience, you know, on the road and take it to national entities and talk about, look, here is this little small little nonprofit in New Orleans that is partnering with hospitals um, that are in the market competitors, but are working to, uh, together to achieve right this sense of equity and belonging and justice for all NICU families um and you know more than anything we need donations um and what we would really 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 love is to be able to work with um companies that could donate um help us meet basic needs by donating things like car seats or packing plays or diapers, you know? So we we don't need, we would absolutely take a million dollars cash, let me tell you. Um, but what we really <laughs> need is to be able to, <laughs> to really be able to help families meet their basic needs. That's what we want. We think that everybody should be able to be the best parents that they can be. And if there is something as, um, as as meniscal as money that's stepping in their way, then we're going to help mm -hmm. them overcome that. Mm -hmm. Please, you know, reach out to Souls Foundation and um, donate to them. You know, you guys can always reach out to me at um, PPIC, Patient Partner Innovation Community, and I will definitely connect you to Kimberly Nova to make sure that, you know, we continue. I, you know, teamwork makes the dream work. And that old yeah. saying, it takes a village. <laughs> Yes. We can't do this alone. We have to partner together. And again, hospital system leads that are listening, reach out. You know, she can help you in your um, diversity, equity um, journey and your NICUs. And so, you know, we're all about sharing this caring. So Kimberly, this has been a wonderful conversation. I do appreciate all the wonderful work that you are doing. And I will definitely commit myself to um, connecting you with potential partners and making sure that I keep myself honest and it's not just um, do as I say, not as I do, but I will definitely be that doer. Yeah. So thank you so much, Kimberly. Thank you and, so much, Desiree. Oh, you're welcome. So as always, guys, we want to thank our wonderful sponsor and supporter of the podcast, Dr. Natasha Washington at ATW Health Solutions. We could not do this without her tremendous support and um, push to keep striving for equity in our healthcare ecosystem. And as always, guys, be engaged. Thank you. Follow the PPIC community online at atwhealth.com. <laughs>